Welcome back to the second half of Neville Goddard's lecture given in 1954 titled Awakened Imagination. So last week, if you missed it, was part one, and this is part two. So Neville continues to tell his audience, You didn't choose me, I have chosen you. For here's truth, seeing nothing hereafter in pure objectivity, but seeing everything subjectively related to himself, and he is the source of all the actions that take place within his world. So truth remains absolutely silent and says nothing when reason questions him concerning the true definition of truth. Because when the eye opens, it knows that what is an idea to sleeping man is a fact to the awakened imagination, an objective fact, not an idea. I entertain the idea of a friend and I make some wonderful concept of him in my mind's eye And when I sleep, it seems to be a wish. It seems to be the longing of my heart, but purely subjective, just an idea. And the eye within me opens, and he stands before me, embodying the quality that I desired in my sleep to see him express. So what is an idea to sleeping man? The unawakened imagination is an objective reality to awakened imagination. Now, this exercise calls for, I would say, the active, voluntary use of imagination as against the passive and voluntary acceptance of appearances. We never accept as true and as final anything unless it conforms to the ideal we desire to embody within our world. And we do exactly what the grandmother did. But now we start it, and we do it daily. You may get your results tomorrow. It may come the day after. It may come in a week, but I assure you they will come. You do not need some strange laboratory like our scientists to prove or disprove this theory. Here in 1905, a young man startled the scientific world with his equation that no one could ever or that no one could even test. It is said not six men lived who could understand this equation. It was 14 years later before Lord Rutherford could devise the means to test that equation, and he found that it was true, not 100%. Because he did not have the means at his hand to really give it a complete test. It was another 14 years before further tests could be made. And you know the results of that equation that Einstein gave us in 1905. For today, man, not knowing the power of his own imagination, Stan startled at the results of that unlocking of energy. But he was the man who said, and I put it in the first page of my new book, imagination is more important than knowledge. That was Albert Einstein. Imagination is more important than knowledge. For if man accepts as final the facts that evidence bears witness to, he will never exercise this God-given means of redemption, which is his imagination. Now I'm going to ask you to test this. You will not not take the three weeks that I am here to prove it or disprove it. But the knowledge of it cannot prove itself. Only the application of that knowledge can prove it or disprove it. I know from experience you cannot disprove it. Take an objective, take a job, take take some conversation with your boss, take an increase in salary. You say, well, the job doesn't allow it. 
or maybe the union will not allow it. I don't care what doesn't allow it. Yesterday morning's mail brought me one. Where in in San Francisco, this captain, a pilot, and he writes me that I saw him backstage after one of my meetings. And there he said, but Neville, you are up against a stone wall. I am a train pilot. I have gone all over the world, all over the seven seas. I'm a good pilot, and I love the sea. Not a thing in this world I want to do but go to sea. Yet they restrict me to certain waters because of seniority. No matter what argument I give them, the union is adamant, and they have closed the book on my request. I said, I don't care what they have done. You are transferring the power that rightfully belongs to God, which is your own imagination, to the shadow you cast upon the screen of space. So here we are in this room. Need it remain a room. Can't you use your imagination to call this a bridge? This is now a bridge, and I am a guest on the bridge of your ship. And you are not in waters restricted by the Union. You are in waters that you desire to sail your ship. Now close your eyes and feel the rhythm of the ocean and feel with me and commune with me and tell me of your joy in first proving this principle and secondly in being at sea where you want to be. He is now in Vancouver on a ship bringing a load of lumber down to Panama. He has a complete list that will take him through this year what this man has to do. He is going into waters legitimately that the Union said he could not go. This doesn't dispense with unions, but it does not put anyone in our place. No one, kings, queens, presidents, generals, we take no one and enthrone him and put him beyond the power that rightfully belongs to God. So I will not violate the law, but things will open that I will never devise. I will sit in the silence within myself. I will revise the picture. I will hear the very man who told me. No, and that's final. And hear him tell me yes, and a door opens. I don't have to go to pull strings or pull any wires whatsoever. I call upon this wonderful power within myself, which man has forgotten completely because he personified it and called it another man. (laughs) Even though it is a glorious picture of a man, but that is not the man. The real man is not in some other world. When religion speaks, if it's a real religion, it speaks not of another world. It speaks of another man that is latent but unborn in every man that has attunement with another world of meaning. So that man sat and he tuned in with another world of meaning and brought into being a power that he allowed to go to sleep because he read the laws of man too well. He accepted as final the dictate of facts, for they read him by the laws, or read him the bylaws. They read him the laws of the Union. And here today he is flying the ocean as he wants to do. The grandmother is no longer locked out from the home she loved, but she is in communion. But she was locked out by herself for two years, and he was locked out by himself for well over 18 months and burning up day after day, allowing the sun to descend upon his wrath when he had the power within himself and the key to unlock every door in the world. I say to each and every one of you, I wouldn't take from you your outer comfort, your religion, for all these things are like toys for sleeping man. 
that I come to awaken within you that which, when it awakens, when it awakes, it sees an entirely different world. It sees a world that no man, when he sleeps, could ever see. And then he starts to raise within himself every being that God gave him. And may I tell you, God gave you every man that walks the face of the earth. He also gave it for this purpose that nothing is to be discarded. Everyone in the world must be redeemed, and your individual life is a process by which this redemption is brought to pass. So we don't discard because the thing is unpleasant. We revise it. Revising it, we repeal it. And as we repeal it, it projects itself on the screen of space, bearing witness to the power within us, which is our wonderful human imagination. And I say human advisedly. Some would have me say the word divine. The very word itself means nothing to man. He has pushed it off from himself completely and divorced himself from the thing that he now bows before and calls by other names. I say human imagination. As Blake said, rivers, mountains, cities, villages, all are human. When the eye opens, you see them in your own bosom, in your own wonderful bosom. They all exist. They are rooted there. Don't let them fall and remain fallen. Lift them up. For the will of my father is this, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up again. And I raise it up every time I revise my concept of another and make him conform to the ideal image I myself would like to express in this world. When I do unto him what I would love the world to do unto me and see in me, I am lifting him up. And may I tell you what happens to that man when he does it? First of all, he's already turned around within himself. He no longer sees the world in pure objectivity, but the whole world subjectively related to himself and hang it upon himself. As he lifts it up, do you know he blooms within himself? When this eye of mine was first opened, I beheld man as a prophet, saw him. I saw him as a tree walking. Some were only like little antlers of a stag. Others were majestic in their foliage, and all that were really awake were in full bloom. These are the trees in the garden of God. As told us in the old ancient way of revision in the 61st chapter of the book of Isaiah, go and give beauty for ashes, go and give joy for mourning. Give the spirit of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may become trees of righteousness, plantings to the glory of God. That is what every man must do. That's revision. I see ash when the business is gone. You can't redeem it. You can't lift it up. Conditions are bad and the things has turned to ash. Put beauty in its place. See customers, healthy customers, healthy in finances, healthy in the attitude towards you, healthy in every sense of the word. See them loving to shop with you if you are a shopkeeper. If you are a factory worker, don't see anything laying you off. Lift it up. Put beauty in the place of ash. Or that would be ash if you were laid off with a family to feed. If someone is mourning, put joy in the place of mourning. If someone is heavy of spirit, put the spirit of praise in place of the spirit of heaviness. And as you do this and revise the day you turn around, 
and turning around, you turn up. And all the energies that went down when you were sound asleep and really blind now turn up and you become a tree of righteousness, a planting to the glory of God. For I have seen them walking this wonderful earth, which is really the garden. We have shut ourselves out by our concept of self, and we have turned down. As told us in the book of Daniel, we were once this glorious tree, and it was felled to the very base. And what formerly sheltered the nations and fed the nations and comforted the bird and gave some comfort to the animals from the sun of the day, of the heat of the day, and suddenly some voice said from within, let it lie, let it remain as it is, but do not disturb the roots. I will water it with the dew of heaven, and as I water it with the dew of heaven, it will once more grow again. But this time, it will consciously grow. It will know what it really is and who it is. In its past, it was majestic, but it had no conscious knowledge of its majesty. And I failed it. Felled it. That was the descent of man. And now he will once more spring from within himself, and he will be a tree walking a glorious, wonderful tree. Now, to those who are sound asleep, this may seem to you too startling. This may be just as startling as Einstein's equation was. That was startling too, but I tell you, I've seen it and I see it. Men are destined to be trees in the garden of God. They are are planted on earth for a purpose and they don't always remain men. They are transformed as they turn in and turn up. This is the true meaning of the transfiguration. There is a complete metamorphosis taking place like the grub into the butterfly. You don't remain what you appear to be when man is asleep. And there is no more glorious picture in the world than to see this living animated human being. For every branch within him is represented by an extension of himself called another. And when he lifts the other up, that branch not only comes into leafage, but it blossoms and the living human blossoms that blossom upon the tree of man who awakens. So that's my message for you this year. I'll give it to you to stir into being that which sleeps in you for the son of God sleeps in man. And the only purpose of being is to awaken him. So it is not to awaken this Nice as it appears, but this man of sense is only a casing. It is called the first man, but the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So that which comes into being second, like Jacob coming second from his mother's womb, he takes precedence over his brother Esau, who came first. Esau was the one like this. He was made of skin and hair, and Jacob was made a smooth skinned lad. But that one, that comes second, suddenly becomes the Lord of all the nations, and that one sleeps in every man born of woman. And it is the duty of a teacher or a true religion to awaken that man. Not to talk of another world, not to make promises to be fulfilled beyond the grave, but to tell him as he awakens now, he is in heaven, and the kingdom is come now, this day, on earth. For as he awakens, he revises his day, and he reveal and he repeals his day and projects a more beautiful picture onto the screen of space